I don't know how you can keep him around for another year. I say, do you see him with the Texans next season? I mean, I it's like a 50-50 thing. I don't think he should be. Welcome in to the Titans 10 for Friday, November the 19th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, broadcaster and writer with Broadway Sports Media and the 440 Podcast Network. Welcome into the first episode of Behind Enemy Lines, Week 11. This is the second of the two new episodes that we've added to the Titans 10 weekly lineup. We've got Titans Talk on Wednesdays. We've got Behind Enemy Lines will regularly be on Thursday afternoons, but today we're doing it on Friday because of a scheduling conflict. So we're actually going to push, and I'll make an announcement about this on Twitter, so you may have already seen this, but we're going to push the usual Friday show to Saturday morning. So tomorrow morning will be the Week 11 preview episode that we typically do on Friday afternoons. This Friday afternoon will be our first episode of the Titans 10 Behind Enemy Lines for Week 11. We've got a great guest. Matt Weston is going to be joining us from Houston. He's a guy that covers the Texans. We'll talk more about him in the intro here in a second. Before we get started, if you are listening to this on the Football and Other F-Words podcast feed, you're only going to hear a little bit less than half of the interview. Um, So, you know, this is just a teaser episode if you're listening on the F Words feed. And we're not going to be putting these Wednesday and Thursday episodes on the F Words feed for but maybe one or two weeks, just as little previews. Otherwise, they're going to be exclusively on the Titans 10 feed. So if you want to hear the whole interview and you want to hear interviews in the future, you got to go subscribe to the Titans 10 podcast feed. There's a link in the description of the podcast that you're currently listening to. Click it. It'll take you wherever you need to go, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can go subscribe to the Titans 10 so you get all the stuff there. Uh, Please leave us comments, likes, you know, subscriptions, all that good stuff. Uh, It's much appreciated. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, all of that blah, 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 good stuff, self-promotion. You don't care. Let's get on to the interview with Matt Weston. All right, let's welcome in Matt Weston to Behind Enemy Lines Week 11. Matt is a writer at BattleRedBlog.com and the voice of Battle Red Radio. Matt, thanks for joining the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today, Easton. So we're talking Titans-Texans. They got their first of two divisional games coming up this Sunday for Week 11. I wanted to get your take on the Texans season so far. You know, they started out the season and in the first game and a half looked a lot more competitive than I think most anticipated them being in this season. I came into the season kind of expecting them to be better than folks thought, just because I thought Tyrod Taylor is the kind of quarterback that can give any team a chance. And, you know, he was doing that for a week and a half and then went out in that Browns game. Uh, Talk me through a little bit of that opening, opening game and a half, what the, what the scene was around the Texans uh, and the Texans fan base. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing about those first like six quarters that nobody expected at all was that they forced a lot of turnovers. And like this defense can't get any stops all whatsoever. Um, but the, you know, Justin Reed had interception, a forced fumble. Vern Hargrave somehow had an interception, peeling off of cover two in the flats, pick off Trevor Lawrence. And yeah, you know, they had like such a high turnover rate that wasn't sustainable, but it was much higher than what it was the year before, whenever they only had three interceptions for the entire year. And so then the defense was fluky because in those six quarters, they had five turnovers uh, during those points. Like the offense, like 
you know, whenever you go up against a badly coached Jaguars team, what they did where they had like no plan of attack for Tyrod Taylor in the pocket and they were able to bring him down the backfield, that sort of thing led to some big plays on the back end of it. And then against Cleveland, you know, they're, they're really like their biggest source of offense was a screen pass using cast promotion at Philip Lindsay for a touchdown. And so I think the biggest thing of the first six quarters is that, you know, they look like pretty like well-coached, they forced turnovers, but a lot of it's kind of unsustainable. And I think a lot of it too is kind of based off of playing a bad, a bad team that's coached poorly in the Jaguars. And then the Browns, you know, I think they kind of call them off guard a little bit with that screen pass too. Uh, but what we've seen lately, even going back to that Miami game with Taylor back in the offense too, it's kind of what we expected from this Texans team, you know, that they'd be bad, that they don't have young talent, that a lot of the veterans and off seasons they had this summer were, you know, non-playable characters and you're know, just guys <laughs> that, you know, you weren't expecting a whole lot out of. And we've seen exactly that the last, you know, eight and a half weeks of the season. Right. And so Tyrod Taylor goes down in at halftime in that Browns game. And then you get six or seven or eight weeks of the Davis Mills experience. So I don't know what was the expectation for him when the Texans drafted him and, and have they been met? What, what have you thought about uh, his play so far this season? Yeah, like all fan bases, you know, their, their brains are warped where if a player is selected by your team, all of a sudden he's you know, the best player in the world. And so there's a lot of talk that, if Davis Mills waited another year to enter the NFL draft, he would have been a first round pick, which I don't think is true. And I think the fan base in general thought he could be like a, a future franchise quarterback. I think the team thought so at like the reaction whenever they selected him in the third round. I thought you know, it was a bad pick at the time, and I still do, mainly because they had so many holes throughout the roster that if you just find a starting offensive guard or a starting defensive tackle, you know, that's more important than having a project quarterback when you have so many your problems down throughout the entire roster. And also like I thought Davis Mills was bad at Stanford and you know, he's been bad in the pros as well too. And like Tim Kelly, this offense hasn't done many favors. You know, they had the training brawl on him throughout this year where, you know, he was thrown like four routes pretty much. Um, they try to run the ball, but they have the worst run game in football and everything they were doing just didn't, really didn't work out at all. And so like, it was kind of the scheme is bad. The players are bad. Davis Mills is bad. And it's just this like circle or, you know, snake that eats itself. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's going to be good going forward. I don't think he's going to be a, a franchise quarterback at all or a starting quarterback. I think he's a backup quarterback who like, will hang around because he was drafted in the third round. But uh, I thought the pick was bad, and it still is, you know? Right, and I mean, I think, to be fair, he was put in an incredibly difficult situation for a, a rookie that clearly needed some development. You know, a third-round guy. He played a, a number of road games early against pretty good team stout defenses, he wasn't really given much of a chance. And, you know, like you said, outside of Brandon Cooks, it seems like the team really hasn't surrounded him with many weapons. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the thinking, I think, that you were alluding to in the draft. Why, why are they taking this guy when there are so many holes elsewhere on the team? You know, it ended up being, I guess you could say, in hindsight, it was a better pick than it may have been thought of at the time, just because Tyrod Taylor goes down early mm-hmm. and he's needed because if, it, if not for David Davis Mills, who else? would have been playing quarterback uh, for this stretch of the season. Not, not that it's mattered all that much, but Mm -hmm. at least Davis has, has made them competitive in a handful of games. The new England game is one that comes to mind. Um, So Tyrod comes back last week against Miami. And I know that, and I don't know if you're clued into the professional betting scene at all, but I know that a number of professional betters in particular were really high on Tyrod based on his first game and a half of the season, him coming back, the Texans being more competitive just because of his playmaking ability in that offense. He comes back and has one of his worst games to date. Do you think that that was just uh, 
him having to shake off the rust? Do you think that he, you know, that that hamstring, he's not exactly 100% yet? What did you see in that game against Miami? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the things where I think part of it was rust, but also they played a high blitz defense. And they used a new offensive line combination they haven't used before. They benched Max Sharping, their second-round pick from 2019, who was a left tackle. They moved over to offensive guard, who's been moved to left guard, moved to right guard this year after they moved Tyus Howard over to left guard. And he's been, like, unplayable this year. Like, he's soft. He's not strong enough to play the position. And so they benched him. They moved Justin McCray into the starting lineup of right guard. I think he played, like, less than 10% of the snaps in Atlanta last year, too. Like, McCray's, like, you know, again, another guy who's just, like, a non-playable character. And then they added Jimmy Morrissey into the starting lineup at center. And he was, you know, an undrafted free agent from the Vegas practice squad that they poached this offseason or this, you know, whenever the season started. Right. So they put him in the lineup at center. And, like, the problem is that they're playing a cover zero blitz team. They were running a lot of isolation routes and vertical routes against cover zero, which doesn't work whenever they're playing like 15 yards off the ball. They had a center in who didn't know which way to slide in the pass protection call. So they allowed a ton of free rushers. They had you know, unblocked rushers off the edge throughout the game, which you know happens because you have to block the first man first, but they just didn't run any man beater, any uh, man coverage beaters at all to throw off the edge. And they had no hot routes at all. Uh, they ran one route concept where they ran uh, like a slant flat where they had Amendola in the flat. They got like 29 yards off of. That was the only man coverage beater they ran the entire game. And so I think part of his tail was rusty, but the bigger part was that they had an atrocious game plan. They used the offensive line combination they never used before. Star as center who you know, was limited athletically and talent-wise in his first star against the High Blitz team. And all three of those things kind of came together where they were only able to score nine points despite the defense forcing five turnovers in that game against Miami. So you think that, that that performance was really just an all there wasn't blame to be placed on one one person or one aspect of the team. It was just kind of an all around bad day for the team. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And like Taylor did miss, you know, some throws. Uh, he missed like a like an RPO throw to Amendola where he ran a wheel route down the sideline. He just threw it early and missed him like out of bounds. And that was an atrocious throw. He had like a touch pass floater he threw to Brandon Cooks against the Blitz, but he put it like up on the left outside of the seam instead of up the middle of the field where the safety wasn't. He was able to track that one down. And those are like two touchdowns he missed. But I mean, I think Taylor was bad. I think it was an all around bad effort, but like it wasn't entirely him. And you'd expect him to be, you know, a little bit better this week, but this week they're playing up against one of the best front force in football, a team that really rushes the quarterback well. And the offensive lines have problems you know, throughout the entirety of the season. Well, let's go ahead and transition to this week. Like you said, the Titans front four has been playing really well this year in particular in comparison to last year. You know, last year they couldn't uh, create a pass rush or any pressure to save their lives. And this year they've really turned that around. What do you expect? You know, Tyrod coming off his first game back, shook the rust off. You'd imagine he's going to be better in this game. Uh, The Texans are coming off their bye, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to be well rested. Um, you know, injury concerns are, are going to be diminished. What do you expect from this game on Sunday? Yeah, I think the biggest problem I see with this, they're using, using the same offensive line combination again. And like Taylor, like a lot of quarterbacks we've seen this year, it's kind of one of the biggest things I've been noticing is that like, I've always been like a big proponent of interior pressure being more important than exterior pressure, just because you have a shorter pass to the quarterback. But this year I've just been seeing quarterbacks just like, instead of eating sacks this year, they're like just trying to throw it away and it just creates a lot of turnovers. And those are the things that Titans has been so great at this year is creating tier pressure with Autry and Simmons. And so 
I, I think like offensively for Houston, the biggest problem they're going to have is that going up against those interior pass rushers and how well they run stunts. And they've been awful picking up stunts all year, getting pressure in Taylor's face where he just blindly throws something up. And then Kevin Bayard has been incredible this year at pouncing on you know, mistakes too. And so I think Tennessee will win the turnover battle for that reason. And like, they don't have any weapons aside from Brandon cooks. And like, I think Fulton on cooks is an interesting matchup depending on how often, you know, Tennessee decides to play man coverage. Right. They also have a terrible run all, run offense as well too. It's the worst of the league. And so I think you kind of end up in like a lot of like third and sevens, third and nines, you know, third and sixes where you end up with Taylor going against this great pass rush. And I think he's going to make mistakes, you know, as a result of it. So I'm curious what you see as the future for this Texans team. You know, they have a lot of questions at a number of positions, quarterback in particular. You know, I'm not sure whether or not you consider Tyrod Taylor to be a guy that you can build the franchise around. Deshaun Watson, I'm not really interested in getting into that conversation today. You know, given his legal situation, who knows? There's not been much new since the traded line when the Texans chose to hang on to him. So he's going to be with the Texans through the rest of this year and beyond that. Time will tell if his legal issues get gets resolved, if he gets his wish and and is traded away from the team. But both coaching staff and personnel, there's a lot of questions to answer. I think the only the only place that that there may be some solidity is the new GM, uh, who I think Casario. I'm interested in maybe on your opinion of him. I, I think that he's a capable guy and he's got a lot of rebuilding to do. So, what do you see the future of this team being? Yeah, I mean, it really kind of became clear like after two Davis Mills starts, I think even going into the season two that whatever happened this year doesn't really matter at all. Really, the most important part of the season is what they get for Deshaun Watson whenever they do make the trade for him. And that's going to define, you know, Casera's entire tenure here. And he has to make sure not only one, do they get the most value they can for Watson because they are trying like a top five franchise quarterback regardless of the legal stuff. But two, they have to nail the picks that they get from him as well. And so like if they're able to turn Deshaun Watson to, you know, three or four starters or, you know, two stars and a franchise quarterback, like that's, what's going to turn the Texans into a good team again. If he misses on it and they botch it, the Texans won't be good. until like, I don't know, 2026. I mean, we really have no idea like that. We, it may be until next decade until they're good again, if they don't, you know, handle it well. And so one of the other things about this year too, it's like, you know, Nick Casario, I don't think he did a good job at all this offseason. I don't think he's shown any merit of being a good general manager. Really? He says wow. the right th- yeah, he says the right things. And like the ex-New England thing, you know, goes a long way. And like his draft record at New England wasn't very good whenever he was head of pro personnel where, you know, New England hasn't made a ton of good picks um, going back like the past few years whenever he was there as well. Or like Tom Bray was kind of left with the empty cabinet whenever he left New England and went to Tampa too. But with Nick Casario, like he just had two different off seasons where he had the off season where they're trying to increase the talent there by sign, you know, all these veteran players uh, by get rid of, you know, kind of bad contracts. But by doing so, he had the other opposite end of it where he didn't sign young players. He restructured contracts for this season, which limits the cap space they'll have next year. Like for example, by trading Whitney Merciless because they restructured his contract this year, they saved $0 in cap space next year. And it's mm. like, is that worth a fifth round pick? I mean, I don't, I, I personally don't think so. And so they did those moves. They also didn't uh, add pretty much any undrafted free agents. They only added three of those players. Um, they didn't craze me draft picks as possible. They trade up in the draft multiple times too. And so like nothing really matched as far as being a bad team or rebuilding team. And, you know, there was some conversation that like, 
well, they did it because they thought Watson was going to be on the team this year. Well, they, you know, were kind of lying to themselves. So they thought that because there was like a 1% chance that that was to occur. And if they did so signing, you know, Neville Hewitt and Kevin Pierre Lewis is going to make you go to Sean Watson too. And so like, I don't really know. I like, I'm excited to see what he does next year. I think it was a, like a hard year for him. And this is him trying like an attempt to clean house. And so we just don't know if Casario is good or not, but I thought he had a bad offseason last year. But yeah, like going forward, this team, there really just isn't any cornerstone players here. Like you can say Lermy Tunsil is, but he has an egregious contract and they won't keep him around for you know two years unless they decide to restructure him. But right. Like a left tackle on a bad team isn't that important of a player. And they'd be better off to try to trade him for draft picks. But you know, they restructured him this season too, and that complicates it. Um, and like you have Ty's Howard, he's at guard who you know, was a good like pass protecting right tackle, but has been a run, bad run blocker every year of his career. Maybe he's a starter here in the future. Justin Reed's a free agent next year. Do you give him, you know, $12 million a year to be on a bad defense? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think so, but like, what do you do if he walks? You have no really kind of good players left on your defense. Like the only young player here who's really kind of jumped out at all has been Jonathan Grenard. I think he has like seven and a half sacks right now. He's playing the six technique and under defense. Uh, or an over defense, I should say. And he's like been really good, like playing against tight ends in the run game, you know, creating havoc, uh, beating tight ends one versus one, you know, having like enough, like really good pass rush moves uh, and one versus one matching the right tackles where like he's had an impact this year. And he was somebody who I thought was the best draft pick they made in 2021 where he didn't play at all. And now he's finally getting snaps. He's been able to take advantage of, but like really looking at like green arts, probably the best young player they have. And he's somebody who you'd expect to be like the, you know, third best player in the front seven, not like a cornerstone. Like this guy is, you know, he's not Jadavian Clowney. He's not Bud Dupree. He's like a complimentary player on, you know, a really good front seven. Right. I mean, the Texans are in a really unique situation. It seems they've got a really kind of a clean slate going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see what Casario does with that, with the personnel over there in Houston, what are your thoughts on David Coley this year? I mean, I'm not sure how you can judge too harshly given the scenario. You know, it felt like when he was brought in, it was an interesting hire, first of all, the most interesting uh, kind of out of nowhere hires of the the head coach hiring cycle this past mm-hmm. offseason. And it almost felt, to I, you know, to some that he was being brought in kind of to fail or maybe to be a puppet for, for the uh, front office over there. So what are your thoughts on how he's done? Do you have any? <laughs> yeah. Like the, I don't know, whenever Ryan for battle red blog, you know, we were writing articles whenever they interviewed head coaches and the David Coley one happened. I was like, should I even write this? Like, I really don't see the point in this. Like right. I've wrote in, I wrote, you know, 12 of these so far. Why is there a point to write the, this another one here, David Coley? And he had getting the job. And like, I think it's exactly it. Like Coley was here for keeping morale high to keep the, the cooler full of Capri Suns, you know, after the game <laughs> to make sure the players were happy. Cause you know, they were going to be a bad football team this year. And like the coach, like Nick Casario said himself that David Coley was an X's and O's coach. He's, they wanted to run through a brick wall coach and that's why they hired Coley. And so I think he's just kind of like a motivational speaker and he's here like to keep things like kind of merry and bright for the next like two years as this kind of mess kind of, you know, clears itself out and they know they have draft picks again. They trade for Watson and they f- find some young players to build around that sort of thing. But he really isn't like here to win football games necessarily. But that being said, with Coley, like, I mean, some of the mistakes this year have just been you know, so egregious. You know, 
with like the decision to call timeouts when he does or kick field goals when he does and when to go for and not go for it and the game plans they've had and hiring Levy Smith as the DC and Tim Kelly that they kept as Alvin's corner has been terrible too. And like that call against Cleveland where he turns down the penalty that would have made it fourth and one to just go for it instead turning down the penalty to punt, you know? And so there's just been so many mistakes where they've just been so incredible that I don't know how you could keep them around for another year. I say, do you see him with the Texans next season? I mean, I, it's like a 50, 50 thing. I don't think he should be because like as, as cute and quirky as he is, the mistakes on the field just been so enormous that I don't know how you can keep them around. Like, I don't know how if you're a veteran player or somebody like free agency, you're gonna be like, yeah, I'll go to Houston for, you know, two years, $12 million because they've crushed all these other veteran contracts they've signed this year by putting guys in you know, bad spots to play too. So, I mean, I, I think like the idea of Coley kind of made sense at the time, but the execution of him, like his own performance has been, you know, just so terrible that I don't really think you can keep him around for another year, but that's not my decision to make. And I think there's like a, Like, I think it's like a half and half chance that they keep him around next year. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining the show today. Again, it's Matt Weston. Follow him at Matt underscore Weston on Twitter, writer at BattleRedBlog.com and the voice of Battle Red Radio. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll get you out of here. Yeah, thanks for having me on again today, Easton. Have fun watching the the Titans play Texans on Sunday. I'm sure it's going to be, you know, like a a 31 to 17, you know, sort of game, you know, 31, 13, something like that, you know. All right, man, have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Listen, I know every show you've ever listened to has asked you to do that, and you don't. I get it. I'm guilty of it, too. But not every show you listen to is brand new and trying to get off the ground like we are. So please, it'll help so, so much if you go rate and review and subscribe to the show. Actually go do it. Thank you in advance. We love a good grassroots effort over here at the Titans 10. And I know you've got a bunch of friends and family who follow the Titans. I know you do. So please send them this show and don't just tell them about it. Share the show with them over text. Send it to them. Tell them how much they need it in their lives because, of course, they definitely do. All press conference audio in this episode is from TennesseeTitans.com, so thank you to them for providing that for us. Follow me at Easton Freeze and the show at the Titans 10 BSM. That's at the Titans 10 BSM on Twitter to keep up with all of my football coverage and get show updates. Make sure to check out me and my talented colleagues over at BroadwaySportsMedia.com for all things Tennessee sports. We've got a great team of writers as well as a great podcast network with new content five days a week for you to consume. All right, that's going to do it for today. I am your host, Easton Freeze, and this has been the Titans 10.